Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. You may have never heard of J. Bruce Ismay. J. Bruce Ismay was a British businessman who served as the president of White Star Line. Now you may ask yourself, what was White Star Line? White Star Line was the British shipping company that owned the Titanic. So Ismay was the president of the company that actually built the Titanic. And as president of the company, he would often ride on the maiden voyages of the ships that White Star Line would send out. And it was no different for the Titanic. And so in a desire to make a name for himself and to promote the new Titanic, he rode on board. And he, rumor has it, pressured the captain to make the Titanic go faster because they wanted to break speed records. He wanted to make a name for himself. And many believe that that was one of the reasons why they hit the iceberg, because of his pressure to speed the Titanic up. Now, why was J. Bruce Ismay so notorious? Well, on April 14, 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg. And you know the whole story. There was not enough time for rescue boats to come, and so they had to basically jump ship. Well, Ismay, because he was the president, he was known for pushing women and children aside and jumping into the lifeboats and getting all the upperclassmen into the lifeboats. And back then, it was a women and children first policy. And so as he's in the lifeboat, he watches the Titanic sink 20 minutes later. Now, when he comes back to England, he's heavily criticized. He's, he's lampooned in editorial cartoons. He, he receives a nickname. His nickname is the Coward of the Titanic. Because he was so willing to get off the boat that he pushed women and children aside feverishly so he could save his own skin, the coward of the Titanic. Well, London society ostracized him. He was forced to resign. And he lives on in infamy with the title, the coward of the Titanic. A coward. Now, I'm sure you can think of other famous cowards in history. The Cowardly Lion from The Wizard of Oz. George McFly from Back to the Future. You could possibly say C-3PO was a little bit of a coward. And my favorite cowards of all time are Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. Okay? Now, why do I bring up cowardice this morning? 
In our passage of Scripture, we will see the greatest act of cowardice ever perpetrated on planet Earth and the greatest act of rebellion and blindness and hypocrisy. If you remember from last week, we looked at two groups of people, Pilate, who was the moral relativist, and the Jewish leaders who were the religious hypocrites. That theme continues on in our passage this morning, and we're going to continue to see this unfold. We're going to see Pilate, the moral relativist, and the religious leaders, the religious hypocrites, in full color display this morning. So in keeping with that theme, let's pick up where we left off last week. So John 18, verse 37, and we're going to go into chapter 19, but I want to pick up on the heels of where we left off last week. So Jesus is before Pilate, and let's just pick up in verse, actually let's pick up in verse 37. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, are the lights up as high as they can be? They are? No, that's a lot better. Okay, I can see now. Thank you. So you are a king, Jesus answered. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he'd said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Into chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! But Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would, not have, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. 
And he said to the Jews, Behold your king! And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So here's the big idea. The big ticket issue related to this passage of Scripture. Jesus is the perfect Savior and powerful Lord who demands from you a response. He's the perfect Savior. He's the powerful Lord. And He demands from you and from me a response. So let's explore Pilate this morning, the moral relativist. And the first thing we see about Pilate is in verses 38 through 40, Pilate is driven by cowardly expediency. Cowardly expediency. Now remember, Pilate says, what is truth? And truth is standing looking at him in the face, Jesus Christ. And Pilate makes the first of three statements of Jesus' innocence. Look at verse 38. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Back in chapter 18. After he said this, he went outside to the Jews and told them, Here's the first time. I find no guilt in him. He's an innocent man. In Pilate's estimation, there's nothing worthy for Jesus to be sentenced to death. He, he, he finds no guilt. He's innocent. He's not guilty. But there is a bloodthirsty crowd out there that's been manipulated by the Jewish leaders. And so in an act of cowardly expediency, Pilate says, okay, I'm going to try something. There's a custom. Every Passover, we release one criminal at this festival. And the reason they would release a criminal was to try to keep the peace in the government. It's an offering of goodwill. Maybe there won't be an uprising. Maybe there won't be a terrorist attack if we just release a prisoner. So Pilate thinks to himself, this is an easy thing. I'm just going to offer to release Jesus. And and surely they're going to want to have Jesus be released because there's nothing wrong with him. He's innocent. He hasn't done anything. So he goes out there and he says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, Jesus. But his plan backfires. In verse 40, the plan backfires. What happens? They cried out, not this man, not not Jesus, but give us Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Now you may ask yourself, well, who was Barabbas? Well, Matthew 27 tells us he was a notorious criminal. John here says he was a robber. But worse than that, Luke tells us he was a murderous political terrorist. Luke 23, 18 through 19. Luke's account says, They all cried out together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. A political terrorist, a murderer, a robber. And so in this maneuver of political cowardice, Pilate says, let me just, let me try something here. Let's try to release Jesus and that backfires. And so they end up releasing Barabbas, a thief, a murderer, a political terrorist. Now think about Barabbas for a moment. That's all we know about him. Murderer, terrorist, 
thief. But on that day, he gets to walk out scot-free as if nothing happened. He's released. His record is clean. He gets to go free. Now, in the eyes of justice, this makes no sense because he is definitely guilty, guilty, guilty. Jesus, on the other hand, is innocent. And Pilate knows that. Pilate says, I find Jesus to be innocent. But yet, in in poetic justice or injustice, they release Barabbas. Now, think about Barabbas for a moment. Barabbas is the only person on the face of the earth that can say Jesus physically died in his place. But, if you're a Christian here this morning, your name is Barabbas. Because Jesus died in your place. You see, Barabbas was a guilty murderer who deserved to die. And instead of taking the punishment and dying on the cross for his sin, Jesus took his place and died as an innocent man for the guilty. And in just the same way, we are just like Barabbas. We're not political terrorists, we're not murderers, but we are sinful against God. And we've rebelled against God. And Jesus, instead of us taking the punishment for our sin, took the punishment for us. And Jesus died in our place. So all of us, in a sense, can say, my name is Barabbas because I deserve to die that day. And Jesus died in my place. So that's that's maneuver number one cowardly expediency where where Pilate says, okay, I'm going to try to maneuver this thing to get Jesus off the hook because he knows he's innocent. So he tries to release him, but no, they want Barabbas. So Pilate has to come up with another plan. That plan didn't work, so plan two. In chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, Pilate is driven by false compassion. You have to read between the lines here to see what he's doing. So plan A failed. They released Barabbas, so Pilate's got to do something. So let's just teach Jesus a lesson. Let's flog him for a little bit, and then maybe the crowd will have some compassion on him. So in verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now, this is the first of two floggings of Jesus. Jesus was flogged twice. This was, in Roman culture, there were three types of flogging. This is more of a, just a beating to, to kind of serve as an example so that it would deter other people from doing it. It was a flogging that took place before the sentencing. Now, we'll see later on that after Pilate sentences Jesus to death, there's the, the really bad type of flogging, which is the, the cat of nine tails. This is not the cat of nine tails. This is more just a flogging. And then the Roman soldiers, we have a new group of people that enter into the scene here. The Roman soldiers. Isaiah 50 verse 6 is a prophecy of about Jesus being flogged. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Okay, so if Pilate was a moral relativist and the Jewish leaders were religious hypocrites, the Roman soldiers were sadistic mockers. They were sadistic. What do they do in verse 2? They twist together a crown of thorns, probably a 12-inch spike from the palm date. And they place it on Jesus' head, 12 inches probably, crushing into his skull. They find a purple robe, probably from a military cloak. 
And they dress Jesus up as this mock king. And in Matthew's gospel, it gives a little bit more detail. In Matthew chapter 27, 29 through 30, twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, took the reed, and struck him on the head. So picture what's going on. Jesus has a crown of thorns, he's got a robe, and these Roman soldiers come up one by one. They mockingly bow before Jesus, they hit him on the face, they strike him on the face, and in the way the text reads in John, it almost sounds like it's a continuous thing. They would repeat the action one would go through the line the next would go through the line and then they would go back to the end and they would keep coming through beating jesus now what's Pilate's thought process here as these roman soldiers are doing this with sadistic glee Pilate's thought process is if we beat jesus just enough and we go out and present him to the crowd maybe the crowd will have compassion on jesus maybe the crowd will say enough stop you've gone too far let him go That was Pilate's thought process. If we just take Jesus out there, he's been roughed up, the crowd will have compassion, and they'll let him go. But notice verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Second time. Second time Jesus is declared to be innocent. And Pilate brings Jesus out, looking more like a clown than a king. And notice what Pilate says to them in verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. You don't, you don't capture the, 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 the essence of this Greek word, It literally means, behold the man, literally means, look at this poor, pitiful creature. Look at this poor, pitiful man. So Pilate wants the crowd to have compassion on Jesus. Look at this poor guy. you got to stop it. Let him go, is what Pilate's saying. I've told you twice, he's innocent. There's a prophecy about how Jesus looked after being beaten and having the crown of thorns put on his head. Isaiah fifty two fourteen. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Can you picture the grotesque nature of Jesus' face at this time? Okay, he's got crown of thorns on his head. His beard has been pulled. He's been punched. I'm not trying to be irreverent here, but you've seen the Rocky movies. You know when Rocky's been roughed up by Mr. T or by Dolph Lundgren? He looks really bad. That is probably, Jesus probably even looked worse than that. And so Pilate's second maneuver to get rid of Jesus, false compassion, have him beaten, let the crowd feel sorry for him, so Jesus will go, that does not work either. And twice Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. So Pilate's in a pickle. What does he do now? Well, the third thing we see in chapter 19, verses 6 to 11, Pilate is driven by superstitious fear. 
He's somewhat dumbfounded because both of the, the ploys he's tried to use have not worked. The crowd has released Barabbas instead of Jesus. The crowd does not have sympathy on the poor man. Pilate says twice, I find no fault in him. And then for the third time, look at verse 6. When the chief priest and the officer saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him for yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Three times Pilate said it. Three times. He's innocent. I find no guilt in Jesus. Pilate knows it. He knows that there's nothing to bring a charge against. But these shrewd Jewish leaders are not going to let Pilate off the hook. So they force him into a corner. They play hardball. They basically say, Pilate, we've got a law against blasphemy. And this man is guilty of blasphemy. Notice what it says there in verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. Now, this was their charge all along. If you go back and follow the gospel of John, they've been charging Jesus with this all along. They just never have had the the, the charges stick. They've never had an opportunity to actually bring him before trial. Back in John chapter 5, verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. That's the charge. Jesus is making himself equal with God. He's committing blasphemy. And the Jews say, hey, we have a law against this. And if you want to know what the law is, it's Leviticus 24.16, Pilate. 24.16, Leviticus. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. So these Jewish leaders had heard Jesus' teaching. They've been charging this all along. He's guilty of blasphemy. He deserves to be stoned. He deserves to be put to death. He claims to be the Son of God. And they throw that out there to see how Pilate's going to react. Now, you may be a little confused as to why verse 8 says Pilate was more afraid. Look at verse 8. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Why was Pilate afraid when he heard the term Son of God? Who's Pilate? He's a pagan. Where is this taking place? Well, in Jerusalem, but who's the power? It's the Roman Empire. What did they believe? Greek mythology. You know the Greek mythology. Zeus and Apollos and Diana and all these Greek gods and goddesses. And so when Pilate hears the word son of God, he's thinking, oh my goodness. I may have just flogged Zeus's son or or Apollos' son and I may incur the wrath of the Greek gods because I've done something. And so Pilate's a little freaked out like... Is Jesus actually a Greek god? Is he, is he a mythological creature? Maybe I've incurred the wrath of the gods, the clash of the titans. Maybe it's going to all come down on me now. So Pilate does something in verse 9. He goes back in and asks Jesus an interesting question. Verse 9. He entered his headquarters and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Now, Pilate's not asking him, hey, where's Bethlehem? Give me the geography. That's not what Pilate's asking. Pilate's like, where are you from? You know, kind of like when E.T. shows up or an extraterrestrial, where are you from? In other words, what God are you from? Who's, 
whose son are you of the gods? Because Pilate was no dummy. He had heard of Jesus' miracles. He'd seen and heard of all the miraculous things. Remember, he had just healed the guy's ear that had been cut off. I mean, Pilate's heard about all this miraculous. And so maybe, just maybe, Pilate thinks, oh my goodness, this could be somebody that's, that's a Greek mythological god and I, I've done something wrong. But notice that Jesus does not answer him. This is not the time or the place for Jesus to give a theological discussion about who he is. He doesn't dignify it with the response. And as a matter of fact, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that it's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Okay, now you've got to put yourself in Pilate's shoes at this point. Pilate's reached the point of frustration. Okay, the, the number one, Barabbas. They released Barabbas instead of Jesus. Okay, that's not worked. I've had him flogged, and that's not worked. And now I'm kind of freaked out here about the fact that maybe I've, I've beaten an innocent man because I've confessed his innocence three times, and I'm going to incur the wrath of the gods. And then now I ask Jesus who he is, and he doesn't give me an answer. So Pilate begins to throw his weight around. And in verse 10, Pilate tries to put Jesus in his place. What does, what does Pilate say to him in verse 10? So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Listen, Jesus, who do you think you're talking to? My life is in your hands, or your life is in my hands. Which one is it? Who's holding whose hands and whose life? And whose life and whose hands? Pilate says, listen, you have no authority, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 11. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Daniel chapter 2, 20 through 21. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God forever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Jesus basically says, Pilate, the only reason you have any authority at all is because God's given you authority as a, as, a, as a governing ruler. Jesus is ultimately in charge of this entire thing. We've been seeing that every week now, haven't we? Jesus is not some pitiful, pitiful victim. He's not some victim of fate. He's not some poor martyr. Jesus is sovereignly in charge of everything. And he says, Pilate, you have no authority over me. The only authority you have is what God has given you. John 10 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. I'm the one in charge here, Pilate. I'm sovereign. The only authority you have is a derived authority that's been given to you by God. And then he makes an interesting statement at the end of verse 11. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, there's some debate in scholarship. Is this talking about Judas or is this talking about Caiaphas, the high priest? I take it to be Caiaphas, the high priest. The Jewish leaders delivered 
Jesus over to Pilate. And what does Pilate say? What does Jesus say? Their sin, the Jewish leader's sin, is greater than yours. Now, Pilate's sin is great. What Pilate did is vile. What Pilate did was cowardly. What Pilate did was, um, was, was to cover his own back. What Pilate did in sentencing Jesus, Pilate will be guilty for it. But Pilate's a pagan. The Jewish leaders are not pagan. They have the Old Testament. They've got the Bible. They've got the prophecies. They know who the Messiah is. They know exactly what they're doing. And so Jesus says, their sin, the Jewish leader's sin, is greater than yours, Pilate. Yours is great, Pilate, but theirs is greater. Because Pilate on the day of judgment could just say, hey, I'm a pagan. I'm just doing what I want to do. Um, I don't know any of these prophecies. I'm just killing an innocent guy. And Pilate would be guilty. But on the day of judgment, the Jewish leaders know exactly what they're doing. They're sinning against greater light. Now, what's Pilate going to do? Let's see the fourth thing. In chapter 19, verses 12 through 16, Pilate's driven by political ambition. He's at a loss. Every plan he's tried has failed. Three times, Jesus is innocent. And look at verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. He kept trying, I got to get, I want to release him. But then the Jews put the nail in Pilate's coffin and they go straight to the top. They go straight to Pilate's boss, Caesar. And what do they say? Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, what were they saying to Pilate? Hey, listen, Pilate. If you release Jesus, if you don't send us him, then then we're going to go straight to your boss. We're going to go to the emperor Tiberius. And we're going to tell on you. And we're going to tell him you don't really know how to handle things down here in Jerusalem. We're going to tell him that you've released a man who was a criminal. And and we're going to go to the top. Now, there was a legitimate concern for, for Pilate to be concerned. Because years earlier, the Jews did go to Tiberius. And they did complain about Pilate. And Pilate got reprimanded. And Tiberius was an emperor who dealt swiftly with decisions. So Pilate's thinking, okay, I have no choice now. I could either be killed or I could lose my job because I want to be a friend of Caesar. That whole title, friend of Caesar, was kind of like a technical term of a governor or a ruler who was, who was basically um, towing the line along with what the, the emperor wanted to have happen. And so Pilate was a good friend of Caesar. Pilate was a good governor in the eyes of the Roman Empire. He wanted to protect his skin. He wanted to protect his job. And so this was political ambition and self-preservation. He had to sentence Jesus now. He had to do it. He had no other choice in his mind. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to get killed. I don't want to get reprimanded from Caesar himself. And I know these Jews will do it. I know they will go to the top because they've done it before. So moral relativism reigns supreme in Pilate's life. Three times he says Jesus is innocent, Jesus is not not guilty. He tries to do all these different things. If he just would have done the right thing in the first place and released Jesus, he wouldn't have committed all these atrocious crimes. But in the end, he caved in to pressure. And he sentenced an innocent man to death. By crucifixion. 
That's Pilate, the moral relativist. The Jewish leaders. The religious hypocrites. Let's look at their response. There's a short, but it's worse. It's the greater sin. Pilate sins great, by the way. The Jewish leaders commit the greater sin. The Jewish leaders are driven by spiritual blindness and rebellion against their true king. Now remember, excuse me, they did not want to go into Pilate's house for fear of getting contaminated for the Passover. So they're like, let's just get this thing done so we can go home and be religious and celebrate Passover. But look at verse 15. Verse 15, they make the most despicable statement probably by anybody in a position of religious leadership in the Bible. Verse 15, they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answers, We have no king but Caesar. J.C. Ryle says, Never surely was there such an exhibition of depth of human wickedness since the day when Adam fell. That's a huge statement. John Calvin called it a display of shocking madness of what they said. Now, what are they saying here? These Jewish leaders hated Rome with passion. They hated the empire. They hated Caesar. They wanted to be their own people. They, they did not want to be under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And so they absolutely detested Caesar. But what did they say? We have no king but Caesar. We would rather bow the knee to a Roman oppressive tyrant who we hate than to confess Jesus is our true king. We would much rather be under the thumb of Roman oppression than to actually admit that Jesus Christ is our true king. We have no king but Caesar. It's the height of blindness and madness. It reminds me of Proverbs 1, 24 through 26. Because I've called you and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one's heeded because you've ignored all my counsel. And would have none of my reproof. See, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. There's going to come a day when these Jewish leaders will be stricken with terror because they did not listen to any of the warnings that were given to them about their Messiah being right before their eyes. So Pilate was driven by moral relativism. The religious leaders by religious hypocrisy. But I want us to pivot for a moment. Who's the true hero of the story? Jesus. Let's put the spotlight on Jesus because he's the true hero. Jesus is the perfect Savior and the powerful Lord who demands from you a response. Now, why is he the perfect Savior, the perfect Savior? Three times Pilate says he is innocent. He is innocent. I find no fault in him. Jesus is the sinless, perfect, spotless lamb. He's the Passover lamb without spot or or defect. Back in Exodus, we're told what type of of lamb was needed for the Passover. In Exodus 12, 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a, a lamb without blemish. He's the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. You see, Jesus is only the perfect Savior who can take away your sins. And he stands on trial here before Pilate as the three times innocent, spotless, perfect, guiltless lamb of God going to be slaughtered. Sentenced to death by crucifixion, the perfect Savior. But not only is Jesus the perfect, spotless Savior, at the same time, he's the powerful Lord. He's sovereign over this entire situation. He's the one with all the authority. He is the true king of the Jews. He is the true king of kings. His kingdom is not of this world. He's the one who has the right to rule your life. He's the master. He's the king. He calls all the shots. You see, Pilate was faced with insurmountable truth. Jesus was the innocent lamb of God three times. Insurmountable truth. And what did Pilate do? Pilate rejected that truth because he was a coward. The Jewish leaders were faced with insurmountable truth. They had the prophecies. They had the Old Testament. They knew that Jesus was their Messiah. They'd seen his miracles, but yet they rejected Jesus because they were blind and they were rebellious. And they were religious hypocrites. So both Pilate and both the Jewish leaders were faced with a moment of decision in that moment. How am I going to respond to the perfect Savior and the powerful Lord? And both of them rejected them. One out of cowardice and moral relativism, one out of religious hypocrisy and rebellion. And so the spotlight turns from Pilate and turns from the religious leaders and turns from the Roman soldiers and even turns from Jesus and turns upon us this morning. And the question we've got to ask is how will you respond to this? king. You see, you are faced with an urgent decision as well in how you're going to respond to this king. Are you going to be more interested in self-preservation? Are you going to be more interested in comfort? Are you going to be more interested in wanting to call the shots for your life? Are you going to try to be more interested in being religious? Are you more interested in protecting yourself, living for yourself, being in charge of yourself, trying to save yourself? Or will you bow the knee to King Jesus as the only one that can save you? Will you be like Pilate who said what is truth? Or will you trust in Jesus as the way the truth, and the life. Will you be like the Jewish leaders that said, we have no king but Caesar? Or will you bow your knee before Jesus and say, I have no other king but Jesus? He's my king. You see, Jesus is the perfect savior and he's the powerful Lord and he demands from you a response. What is your response today to the king? Let me ask you to bow your heads and to think deeply about that question this morning. I've heard your word this morning. And because it is your word and it is truth, 
your word demands from us a response. We can't leave this place indifferent. We can't leave this place saying, what is truth? We can't leave this place saying, I have no king but Caesar. Jesus, because you are the perfect Savior and the powerful Lord, our only response is to bow our knees before you as the rightful king, the true Messiah, the true Savior that can forgive us of all of our sins and who can direct and guide and lead and be the master and Lord of our lives. So as we think about these events surrounding the sentencing of you to be crucified on a cross. Lord, will we have that image in our minds of a crown of thorns and a beaten face and a torn out beard and a purple robe And as the crowd cried out, crucify, crucify. And as Pilate was a coward. And as you stand before us in all of your majesty and glory, would we see you as our king, our perfect savior, our powerful Lord. And would everybody in this room bow before you, Lord? Would we surrender and give up? Trying to live for ourselves, trying to somehow work for our salvation or somehow try to fix things ourselves. Would we just give up and fall before the King and confess our need, confess our sin? And we will find your arms wide open, Lord Jesus, to receive all who repent and all who confess you as Savior and Lord. Thank you. This Christmas, Lord, we oftentimes focus on your birth. But we know your birth was ultimately to lead to your death. So help us to think about these truths deeply this week as we live lives of obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.